Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3, welcome to Market View. It's me, Ryan Huang. Michelle, still on leave. She'll be back later this week. And right now, let me get you up to speed with what's happening in the markets. So far, Asian markets are off to a strong start and they are riding the positive handover from Wall Street last Friday. So we've got Japanese markets in the green right now by 1.1%, Australia up by 0.8%. It, it will be quieter across the region and we've got markets in China, Hong Kong and South Korea, all three of them closed for their holidays and mainly because of the Mid-Autumn Festival. So if you've been like me over the weekend, you probably have been stuffing yourself with too many mooncakes. So far, it looks like we are seeing investors digest quite a bit of good news and we are looking at the region Seeing a bit of a risk on mood right now, just regaining some of those losses they've been getting or seeing at least on the currency front against the US dollar. The euro so far this morning among the strongest gainers so far. Also the Japanese yen holding steady. We will get into those in just a few moments. Now we are coming off the back of a rally on Wall Street last Friday. We saw US stocks ending sharply higher. All three major benchmarks snapped three straight weeks of losses and it looks like investors have appeared to price in another another jumbo rate hike from the Federal Reserve pretty much done with that pricing in and the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up over 370 points or 1.2% to 32,152. The S&P 500 was up 1.5% and the Nasdaq Composite was the outperformer climbing 2.1%. So that risk on mood already playing out on Friday. Stocks could have been higher, but they trimmed some of those gains after Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Walker, who was speaking at an event in Vienna, said that the Fed may have to raise its benchmark interest rate well above 4% if inflation does not wane. And his comments pretty much echo Pretty similar hawkish remarks from St. Louis Fed President James Buller, who reiterated his support for another jumbo rate hike of 75 basis points when the Fed meets later this month. So that hawkish drumbeat coming through last week, um, but for now seems to be fading as we saw that risk on mood starting to emerge on Friday and that helped the likes of growth names like Meta Platforms as well as the likes of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And looking at what we have across in the Singapore markets right now, it's also a similar picture in the green right now by 0.3% at 3,272. And among the names that might be worth watching today, we've got IHH Healthcare. And this is with the company in the news because a US court has granted the main board listed company's motion to dismiss a suit brought against it by US fund MCOR ever secure private capital and it was seeking over 6.5 billion US dollars in damages and you have now IHH Healthcare seeking legal advice on the appropriate steps in the event of an appeal. Coffee shop operator Kim Lee is selling his confectionery business Rive Gaucher Patisserie to Mojinho Global for a price tag of 2.8 million dollars. So in addition to the purchase price Mojinoho Global will pay Kim Lee Food Products a cash amount equivalent to the aggregate daily cash flow of the business. 
and also the existing security deposits held with the landlords of premises leased by Kimli Food Products. Another company to look out for will be Aspen Group Holdings. The group has responded to several queries posed by the Singapore Exchange relating to the company's financial results for the fiscal year 2022 and June. This includes replies to queries on the likes of the increase in admin and other operating expenses, as well as a decline in share of results of equity account investees, among other queries. And also trading halts this morning, we have Fraser's Hospitality Trust and Memories Group, and Fraser's itself each calling for a trading halt, and this is pending the release of their respective announcements. And let's take a look at other headlines that we'll be tracking. And Dan is also with me in the studio. Dan, what's caught your eye? Hey, Ryan. So I uh, just want to check with you. When do you think would be a good time to travel to Japan? Anytime's a good time. Anytime's a good time? What about you? Uh, well, personally, I like to travel when it's a lot cooler, you know, when the weather, it's not too humid like it is here in Singapore. So probably in October. Ah, okay. That's a good point. Yeah. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is because Japan is making arrangement to end its daily limit on arrivals from overseas by October. And they will consider removing other barriers to foreign tourism at the same time. So currently, now the daily entry cap is set at 50,000. And inbound tourists are also allowed to travel on tours without a guide. Mm. So just recently, Deputy Chief Cabinet Secretary Seiji Kihira told a Japanese TV program that the government will further relax its tourism rules at an appropriate time. So what do they exactly mean by an appropriate time? Well, that is a tough one to really put a definite timeline on because there are so many moving parts when it comes to relaxing the rules. But I think the important part that he stressed was Japan must not fall behind the rest of the world. So he's pretty much saying, hey, the economy is in a tougher state right now and a lot of businesses and people rely on these jobs in the tourism sector and the longer they wait, the more pain they will get and the hole that they are in will be even deeper for them to get out of. So they are probably trying to push as soon as possible for things to normalize as many other countries have done. And of course, the consideration is um, the sort of market share they'll be losing out on if they don't get things back to normal. People will just get used to not going to Japan if they keep dragging out and people will just start to flop elsewhere. So they are leaving so-called money on the table by not normalizing. But of course, you have the health considerations to um, consider as well. Uh, these are things they will have to figure out if they can manage in terms of public infrastructure, resources. Uh, but for now, they seem to be talking more about raising these caps. Uh, previously, we had a cap of 20,000. They then raised it to 50,000. And now they're talking about lifting it entirely. So it looks like we are seeing some steps taken towards that direction slowly at least. Would there be a very big jump? I mean, you know, with the yen depreciating to a 24-year low, doesn't this present a perfect opportunity to It revive? does if you are a tourist because it is going to be cheaper for you to buy anything that is Japanese, at least priced in Japanese yen. So it is a great time for them to so-called take the opportunity or that window to attract tourists to visit Japan, which is now seeing the yen at a near 24-year low. So it will be enticing, uh, but also worth noting what will be on the cards when it comes to Japanese yen. They've been talking about how they might try to intervene in the markets to prop it up because we've seen a huge slump in the Japanese yen. Uh, it has an impact on the economy because of the import costs for many businesses when they bring in oil or whatever 
Japan needs to import, it will be priced in typically the US dollar. And that will mean higher costs for them. And it will be something they have to pass on to consumers. And then that will just mean more pain for everyone down the supply chain. So that's something they are quite uh, mindful of. On the flip side, it is good news for exporters like Japanese fruits or machinery. They will then enjoy... Uh, I guess a bit of a profit inflation because when you bring back US dollars back to Japan, it then is just much higher. But that's a tricky part of it. When you make stuff in Japan, a lot of the raw components, even machinery, uh, a lot of it comes from overseas. So that is something they still have to absorb. So it's a very tough balancing act for Japanese policymakers when when it comes to Japanese yen right now. All right. Thank you, Ryan. So let's shift our focus now to crypto. And this week, an army of computer programmers scattered across the globe, is expected to attempt one of the biggest software upgrades in the crypto sector. This is an effort to reduce its environmentally unfriendly energy consumption. So for years, developers have spent many, many years on you know, working on more energy-efficient version of the Ethereum blockchain. Mm-hmm. And this comes as you know, Ethereum, the second most important blockchain after Bitcoin, is burning through more power each year than New Zealand alone. Yeah, have you invested in Bitcoin and cryptos before? I not specifically Bitcoin and Ethereum, but yeah, smaller coins. Yeah, this is um, something I guess people generation would be more attuned to. But at the same time, a lot of people have criticized cryptocurrencies for being power guzzlers because of the mining power that's needed to just generate all the uh, transac- transactions and to mine it itself. You need crypto rigs, and these are like um, the size of a normal PC where you have um, graphics cards running in the background, fans just keeping the machinery cool. It takes a lot of power and like you pointed out, it takes up even more than what New Zealand consumes. So this is something we've been trying to bring down because it's not exactly green, even though it might sound digital and paperless, it's not green because a lot of the consumption uh, of energy is happening in the back end. So what's happening here is possibly a milestone for cryptocurrencies because they describe it as a way to really cut down the power consumption by more than 99%. So this is something that could change the game when it comes to, I guess, the ESG agenda or the green labeling on Bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrencies. So this is Ethereum. So it's called the uh, what's called a merge. So effectively, just to keep things less technical, uh, previously you had all these rigs of computers solving puzzles to reward these miners with coins. That will be done away after the merge of this process into this new process, which will then instead require what's called validators to put up some of that collateral, and this uh, in the form of 32 Ether, that's worth around $55,000. So this uh, new proof-of-stake system uh, that will then see them earning rewards. But it's a bit like putting your money in a bank and then getting interest back on it. So it's that kind of system that they pitch will be cleaner. So that will be worth watching to see if it will then pave the way for more mainstream adoption of Ether and other cryptocurrency products long term. But, you know, what does this mean for crypto mining companies? Will they go broke eventually? That could be a possible scenario when you don't actually need the crypto mining companies as much. We've already seen that happening to some extent with the what's called crypto winter. That cryptocurrency pretty much uh, dropped in value for many 
type of coins. So that's already seen the likes of NVIDIA, many of the graphics card making companies, all talking about how that sector is already waning. And with this, that would just be another nail in the coffin. So maybe not as much. I'm sure some coins will still need these rigs, uh, but maybe the new metaverse would have a home or need or drive a new demand for these um, crypto mining gear in the future. Perhaps. Okay, now let's shift our focus on our last story, which is new British Prime Minister Liz Trust's new plan to freeze domestic fuel mm. bills for two years. And this is in an effort to help shield British households this winter. So currently, households in UK are facing about an 80% hike in gas and electricity bills due to the rising cost of wholesale energy that is made worse by the squeeze on supplies after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. What are your views? You know, Is that a right decision? Was it right for her to put on this temporary solution? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's the right one, but I think she has no choice but to do something. And this was pretty much something that she had to help with um, the cost of living just escalating. You've got inflation in the UK at over 10% and you've got the Bank of England just signaling a recession around the corner and you have Europe in an energy crisis that is escalating. So the prospect of the price of power going up is just going to be very hard for a lot of people to um, just swallow. So this so-called stimulus package or subsidy package will help a lot of people afford more stuff they need to buy, for example, power to heat their homes. And of course, winter is coming for real in many parts of Europe. So that is something that could uh, just tide things over. And of course, coming in as a new Prime Minister, she needs to remain popular at least to drive many of the policies that she needs to drive in the coming months. So that's something she's quite mindful of. Uh, so this is something to also watch out for because spending... billions of pounds in this case will mean she needs to take money from somewhere. She's also promised to cut taxes. And when you put those two things combined, it is going to mean the UK government will be facing a tougher time with its fiscal position. So it will then mean the pound will just get weaker. And in time to come, it could then see the British economy become less competitive. So there are long-term implications for these what's called short-term goodies. So something she has to really um, figure out how to transition away from this when that time comes. What then would be your outlook on longer dated bonds, let's say? Okay, so you've got the prospects of inflation escalating because of the energy crisis and also now compounded by her borrowing money, uh, likely even more. And this will then mean the inflation or at least the pressure for the BOE to raise rates will be higher. And I think this is what markets are now starting to price in, that rates will remain elevated and the BOE will be forced to do more. And this is putting pressure on the rates to go up. So you've got the long-term yields likely to stay elevated in the near term at least and probably in the medium term. Okay. And that's all we have for today. Yeah, Thank thanks, you so much, Dan. Ryan. So we've been covering what's happening in the UK, what's happening in Japan, and also what's happening with the cryptocurrency space. So this has been Market View, and we'll catch up again with you tomorrow, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app, that's A-W-E-D-I-O, available on Google Play or the App Store.